Hi, everybody. Welcome to At the Table with Bishop Sue. And uh, I appreciate all of you who are joining us to talk about the covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition and how that affects our lives, how the Methodists have always uh, prayed this and been compelled by it, and um, how difficult it is to live into. And we're really going to get into the difficult part. This is, uh, this is where Wesley really uses the part of the prayer that goes uh, from preaching to meddling. And, and really prompts our self-examination. And um, my guest today for this conversation is Scott Parrish. Scott Parrish is a deacon in the North Georgia Annual Conference, and I'll let him tell you about his ministry. I work with Scott mostly in the realm of disaster relief and response. So Scott, tell us about your life. <laughs> well, hi, Bishop Sue and friends. Uh, thanks uh, for having me today. Um, yeah, my name's Scott. I've lived over in the Augusta area since 1994. Um, served a, a couple of larger churches, and now um, ended up working with the conference and with Global Ministries for about six years, uh, working both in mission and in disaster response, and uh, working through our conference uh, congregational excellence uh, unit. Uh, now I split time with that. I do that part-time, and I'm part-time with a local congregation here in Augusta. Great. And tell us about your farm, because I love your farm pictures. <laughs> yeah, everybody's been asking for the farm photos here in the last <laughs> year or two. Uh, my father-in-law has been uh, on about 13 acres uh, since the late 60s when he retired from the Army and um, uh, developed this farm from scratch. Uh, so we're here with him now. He's in his 90s, and uh, we take care of him, and he takes care of us, and we enjoy this kind of uh, farm life over here. Nice. So I love the pictures of the animals and the babies. I love the babies. Uh, and I don't know, I've always been partial to goats. They just give me joy. So um, it, it's always fun to look at. And you've given a new dimension to um, COVID uh, sheltering in place, right? <laughs> when you've got a whole farm, that kind of takes up a lot of your life. It, it does. And, and so we've got um, everything from the teenager who now has had to be at home for the year with Learn From Home uh, as we, we take care of my father-in-law and try to keep him safe. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, as the, the covenant prayer really uh, gets into um, some difficult territory here. Although the whole thing, I mean, when it begins with, I am no longer mine, but, but thine, that kind of, you know, he, he gives us fair warning that this is gonna cover all arenas. But the part I want us, us to focus on in our conversation tonight is, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. I freely and heartily yield all things, all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And, you know, that is, I, I, as I was pondering this this week, I was thinking, it all goes down to what do I put my security in? And what do I trust in? Am I willing to to freely give over. And I have to confess, this is the part of the covenant prayer where I expect lightning to strike, right? Because right. <laughs> we right. say that, so I freely and heartily give over everything to you. It's kind of like, um, and you'll appreciate this because you have a Baptist tradition, but uh, the um, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. I always wait for lightning because I, you know, <laughs> right. not a mite would I withhold. And people sing that so not a mite, but like, really? Are you listening to what you're singing? Because I'm waiting for the lightning to strike you and me. Uh, well, because really... When I sing it, 
when when I sing it, I'm thinking that's for you to do, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> not, not for me. That's for you. That's <laughs> kind of like, you, when, you know, the only the few times in my life when I preached a sermon dire- directed at somebody, which I learned early on is not very fruitful. They will always come up to you and say, thank you, Pastor. Everybody in the congregation needed to hear that. You know, right. <laughs> it's kind of a fruitless task. But when we talk about, you know, it made me think about in Scripture that God really uh, does not want us to focus. I mean, Jesus talks, I think Jesus talks about money more than anything else, that God does not want us to depend on things of this earth. I mean, the the step out in faith is I trust that God will provide. I trust that, um, that I can freely hand over everything to God and not suffer for it. And I was thinking back in scripture a couple times where God makes that uh, uh, important. I, I used to go on the road. A lot of pastors would invite me to, to preach stewardship sermons. And I'd always talk about in Exodus when God gives the nation of Israel manna from heaven, right? And right. the instructions are uh, only collect what you need mm-hmm. for every day. Right. And some would collect too much and some would collect too little. And the next morning they would find that it had evened up, that those who took too much, they were given just what they needed on a mm-hmm. daily basis. And then I'd also love the part when it gets to Sabbath time, God says, don't hoard it. Don't take too much. And they always would. And whatever they hoarded turned into maggots. And right. so I always ask people in consecration sermons, you know, what in your house is too much and what would turn into maggots. And quite frankly, I would be in a lot of worms, you know, that that there's, and then, you know, the, the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, give us this day, our daily bread. There is a sense of give me just what I need day to day. Help me trust that you'll give me that daily incremental measure, but don't let me get caught up in the hoarding and the acquisition. Yeah. I'm, I'm really struck by that. Um, strong sacramental sense of this passage, mm-hmm. um, w- whether it's uh, baptism and that that idea that we would really reaffirm um, letting go of ourselves, dying mm-hmm. to ourselves, right. coming to life in Christ, or that communion sensibility of uh, we're not one and done, <laughs> but, but we continue to need to be refilled uh, with mm-hmm. God's grace, and we continue to need to to gather at the table. Um, yeah, this is a uh, this prayer is always tough for me because it's the contrast is so sharp, mm-hmm. like either full or empty. Right, and most of us were somewhere bouncing in between <laughs> the yeah. extremes. But we want yeah. a full tank, we want a full bank account, and as you were saying, we in a lot of ways uh, we put our trust in all those other things and forget about that, um, that practice of trust on God right. and, and on one another too. Well, I came through this political season in North Georgia watching like you did millions of ads, right? Millions and millions Ooh. of dollars worth of ads and boiled down was to the heart of the message was we'll protect you and your stuff. Mm. And I read a compelling piece that said, if we live simply, we wouldn't have to worry about everybody having our stuff. We wouldn't, you know, I love one of my favorite, I'm a George Gershwin freak. And in Porgy and Bess, there's a song called I Got Plenty of Nothing. Right. And the line I keep thinking about is the folks with plenty of plenty 
got a lock on their door, afraid mm-hmm. somebody's going to rob them while they're out of making more. Right. What for? Wow. And, and we get on that, you know, I used to, um, when I practiced law, I would run in, a, in the adjoining neighborhood, which was very affluent. And I would look at these huge houses that nobody lived in. The only people who got to enjoy those houses were the au pairs, the nannies, because they were at work all the time. You know, it was just amazing. It was like a ghost town. And I just think we've gotten lost in our culture and, and we've lost, we've lost sight of our security. And now I'm going to move on, move on it and say uh, one of the things I think that's really floored us about COVID is how it's messed with our sense of security, because we really want to believe that, you know, there's a shot for everything. There's a pill for everything that we can control our mortality, that we can control our, you know, and that's really played with our sense of security and trust. Yeah. So much of the way we define success uh, as individuals, as Christians, is that we've got the full tank. Yeah. We've got the full bank account. We're, uh, so this being empty, I mean, everything rubs against being empty. Mm-hmm. Everything goes against having nothing. Um, so, yeah, our, our trust is we can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and, and make a go of it. And I, this pandemic um, has been a, a rolling everyday disaster mm-hmm. that's destroyed um, everything that we've trusted, um, maybe in some ways destroyed every idol. Yeah, we don't talk about that much anymore. Right, right. But the the things that we tend to trust in, that's that's no longer available. So, and I don't know that we have much um, of a theology and practice uh, of following Jesus when we have nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I think of the great spiritual leaders who had, you know, that that having nothing and being free to follow God. Uh, you know, Jesus, you know, take, take very little to, you know, that, um, and, and a lot of times the spiritual leaders of all faith backgrounds were mendicants, right? They were, they were Mm -hmm. beggars. They would go, they would trust that, that their needs would be fulfilled. And that's a big part of Jesus's teaching and the apostles, you know, Paul, um, that was a big part of their understanding that, um, that trust that God will provide. And, and we have a hard time with that, real hard time with that. Especially if it's imposed on us, right? Yeah. Like it's one thing to, to, to choose, it. Own, to, choose <laughs> right. to be poor, but it's a totally different thing. Uh, how, if this is imposed on me, how, how now do I proceed with life? And right. how, how do I make understanding and meaning out of this sort of challenge mm-hmm. and, and how do I find Jesus when, how do I find God in, in ways um, that are useful to me and to the world when everything's gone South, everything's gone. Right. Off? Right. Well, and that, that I, I thought you'd be a good conversation partner with this because we've shared in disaster relief trips and um, that um, every time I drive back after serving that way, which I really feel compelled to do. I think that's where I get, I, you know, that um, to, to watch 
and to be there in solidarity with people who have lost everything. The, you know, talk about messing with your sense of security um, from the floods that we went to tend to in South Carolina and North Carolina to the hurricane devastation in South Georgia that, that um, you know, one, one day you're fine and then the next day um, everything that you've worked your whole life for is strewn across your front yard and ruined or, you know, underwater. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not sure that any of us can um, be as prepared as we want to be, mm-hmm. right, when, when we lose everything. Uh, and when it's not only us, but everybody else in our network, right. in our community, our family yeah. and our friends and everybody uh, is in that same sense of loss. And, and I think, too, in this last year or two, um, there's this overlay of, of an anger, mm. a, a cultural moment where um, we, we can't hardly get past the anger. Right. Um, and, and we know from working with disaster response uh, that, of course, with stages of grief, you know, anger is necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's essential. But it how do we move beyond that and and how do we integrate the loss? Uh, Because it's one thing to choose to join alongside people for a a long weekend or a week Mm -hmm. of disaster response. (laughs) But when the disaster claims us, right. uh, Yeah. It's, it's, it's a challenge. So this, this covenant prayer is almost imposed upon us. Mm Mm-hmm. And so then I, I think for a lot of us, how, how do we uh, how do we engage this and um, make it our own, bring mm-hmm. it into our soul uh, in ways that uh, God uses that to redeem us and to redeem others as right. opposed to pushing and fighting against it? Because of, yeah. you can push and fight for a while, but it, it, it doesn't lead to much that's very fruitful. I think about, you know, having grown up in Florida, we were many times in midst of disaster that just went with the territory. But um, I would watch even even as a young person, you know, going on relief trips or having lived in a devastated neighborhood, um, watch people's reaction. And the ones who are grounded in the faith, um, I would be amazed at their resilience and their sense of it's just stuff. I mean, how many times have you heard great folks out in the field? It's just stuff, you know, right. And, right. A, and a real, you know, we could have died. We could have. Right. That's right. We've got you know, what's really important here. We're we we are. And I think that's what's so tragic about COVID, because we're losing life. And there really isn't weighing in the measure. There is no amount of property that equals a human life. And that's been part of our frustration with the restrictions that. No, don't play with people's lives. Don't, you know, um, and, but how do we have deep spiritual reserves and a sense of, you know, if I lose everything, God will be with me and help me rebuild and um, give me what I need. And I do think COVID though has made us realize that um, we are not uh, immune. We are not um uh, you know, that no matter what we do, we can't have everything nailed down. And, and you know, Jesus's parables, I love the par- parable about the rich landowner who builds all the barns. I love that one, builds all the barns, has this huge, you know, 
<clears throat> inconceivably huge uh, harvest and he fills all the barns and builds more barns and fills all the barns. And then uh, God takes his life that night. Right. It's like, well, that was kind of a fruitless effort, but we don't, we don't preach a lot on those parables. You know, we don't want to hear that. And certainly not in the prosperity gospel, you know, that somehow I'm rewarded. The more I have, the more I'm in God's favor. I think that we need to counter is bad theology, but, but the sense of that, if your life pursuit is building more barns, then you're missing. And Jesus, you know, let's, let's face it. He nailed it when he said, why build up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust corrupt, but seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So I think it's about priorities. If I'm seeking the kingdom of God, I trust that everything else will fall into place and come to me. But if I'm seeking only to build up stuff, I'm going to miss the whole point. Yeah. And if, if we can let go of those expectations and, and those practices that maybe our whole life has been formed around this practice of accumulating right. stuff. Um, if we can let go of that, uh, we, we've learned from um, disaster survivors that there are new opportunities to engage life in different ways, engage faith in, in new, fresh ways, and yeah. be engaged by the neighbors. Right. right. Because we're be all fun. reoriented. Yeah, and to be, I mean, I really think our, our faith communities should be places where we have different priorities, right? And where we lift up a different order. And I'm not sure we do that well. Uh, I, I'm, true confessions, I sat this week in Emory trustee meeting. And man, it's all about, we want to be, you know, top tier, push, 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 let's do that. And I, I thought last night in my prayer time, you know, I would love to be head of a seminary or a university and have a different ethos. Because I've been in those, I've watched those schools, and a lot of those kids, young people, are just miserable. Right. right. From that constant striving, constant, and not, I think it doesn't teach us either the value of the gifts of the whole community, that that Mm -hmm. this is a team sport. And I am encouraged, though, because after looking at schools with Samantha, a lot of the university started with uh, we we serve the common good. We are here to advance learning, to benefit all of humanity. And that's the heart of the church. We, we bond together to build up the whole community and to improve what everything around us. Yeah, and Bishop, I, I wonder if this is a, one of those cultural moments, mm. one of those generational moments mm-hmm. where where one way of life and one way of expectation and defining success and all of that, I wonder if this is an opportunity for us to learn uh, and lean into what's next Uh, as individual Christians and as a church and Mm -hmm. other institutions that, um, well, dig deeper into abundant life. uh, Yeah. And what is abundant life? Abundant life, not with a bunch of stuff. Right, right. Yeah. It's something that's lasting and has legacy. And I, I, I'm wondering as I listen to the younger generations, I, I, I confess I'm that age now. Uh, I, I think they're hungry for that and they're mm-hmm. wanting some of us to lead. Yeah. In well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Scott, because I think back to when I was in college and it was all about acquisition, right? I mean, I majored in finance because I, I, you know, and then went to law school. It was about 
acquisition and, and climbing the ladder and achieving. And um, it's interesting watching my daughter who is not interested in that in the least, uh, you know, and, and that's not, that's not her framework for value. I mean, she wants to um, be involved with things that change the world for the better, but her personal um, aggrandizement, her personal wealth is not the driving factor. And I take great uh, pleasure in that. I think, you know, we got misled, I think. Yeah, you know, so my personal experience here on the farm um, my 92-year-old father-in-law, who's built this from scratch mm -hmm. since the late 60s, uh, is literally handing the keys of it over to us mm -hmm. to make our decisions, to, to do what we need for the next chapter. Mm. And so as, as I think about this prayer, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that when it comes my time to hand the keys over to the kids that I'll do as well as he as my father-in-law has done, but, but I'm struck again by this freely and heartily yield all things, right? All things. And, and then what that means for us, you know, as leaders in the church and as Christians and, and as church leading in the community to, to follow Jesus and in, in this sort of way to, to hand the keys over. Right. And to freely and heart, heartily with joy. I mean, I keep looking in Christian arenas for the joy. <laughs> you know, it, it's it, for a lot of folks, it's this huge burden or this huge purging or this huge division or this huge. And I'm looking for the joy. I'm looking for the, you know, let's follow Christ. And, you know, I'm not going to be I'm, I got enough to worry about with my own failure to freely and heartily yield all things that I've got a lifetime of work in my own spiritual development or my own pursuit. And, and really, you know, the, the irony is that the pursuit is a pursuit of openness to God. So it's about letting go. It's not about, I mean, if this flies in the face, the yielding that I, that I hand over. And, and if you, if you have to imagine American culture, it's all about gathering and, and bringing and building. And, um, you know, I, I just wonder how much the, the Christian communities are being salt and light in the East, in our communities. Are we just uh, an echo of American culture in the acquisitional culture? And, you know, it was funny years ago, uh, I was just out of seminary and I was leading the young adult group. And these were folks trying to find their way. And they had, most of them had just graduated from college in the early years. And boy, one night we started talking about tithing and I might as well, you know, that was the hardest thing for them to even contemplate that you, you know, and, and, and this says freely and heartily yield all things. 10% seems like a huge amount to us. And um, I still remember um, tech sample of a Methodist thinker and pastor said that uh, in America today, Instead of snake handling, we talk about tithing, right? That that I give up control. That and and you know the heart of a gift. I had a whole class in 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 law school on gifts. The heart of a gift is you give without control, right? And how many times, even with gifts, people want to give them and say, "Well, I'll give it to you if you spend it on this." I'm like, that's not a gift. Right, right. And how hard is it to trust the Holy Spirit operating through other people? Right. 
you know, I mean, I trust the Holy Spirit if it's just me and, and God, but, but to, to um, trust others and that the Spirit is working through others and to, for me to be all in. And that's mm-hmm. how I, I hear some of this passage, right. this prayer. Man, I'm all in. Doesn't necessarily, all, I'll always agree with everything, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll be all in to listen and learn and love and, and pull in the same direction in, in a spirit of, of Christ. Which is a joy. It it is. And, and exciting. What an exciting adventure. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what a lot of Christians and churches are looking for today. And I know communities are looking for that, right. For us to look more like Jesus that we talk about, but for us to show that, to, to show it in our lives. Well, and what what would it look like if everybody who dared to claim, and I think you dare to claim the name of Christ on your life, if you did freely and heartily yield all things, what would that look like? I mean, you know, they've said many times if Christians, all Christians would tithe, poverty in the world would be over. Mm. If all, you know, it just seems to me that if we're to be salt, light, and yeast, we're just not doing very well at it. And so uh, the challenge is how do we freely and, and heartily and joyfully right. um, join with others who are really different than us or who might not hear the spirit the same way or who might not, but we all claim Christ. And, and um, you know, I, I, I've said many times, it reminds me when I went to the University of Florida, uh, there were some people there I'd been in high school with who I really disliked, you know, that we were not friends. We were, you know, and we would see each other across campus and go running to each other and hug each other because we were familiar. We were from the same place. Oh. And I wish Christians would get to that point instead of arguing about doctrine or arguing about what branch they're from. Or, you know, it's it, our culture and our world right now. It's all hands on deck. Right. And if you bear right. the name of Christ and you believe he's alive and the Holy Spirit's at work in the world, I want to join arms and, and hands with you and, and really heartily and freely yield some stuff and, and be, I want to see more of it. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, but that pushes us to give up control. Yeah. I mean, we will have to trust God and trust one another in some new ways and, and not want to be full, right? <laughs> to, yeah. to be okay being empty, to, to be okay with the manna of the day, um, to be okay with what God is, is growing now yeah. and tomorrow and not just wanting to replicate the past, which already I can tell in my life, like mm. I'm real comfortable in the past. Yeah. And, and we're in this sort of pivotal moment where there's some new and fresh things happening. And if we'll just listen and learn and give up control. Mm. What, what well, and how many, happen? how much of the Bible is all about that? I mean, God constantly, there's not anybody in the Bible, any key figure who's allowed to stay where they are and have control. Um, and, and really the whole Bible's about people grappling with, what do I do when God calls me to a new and different place? And how do I, how do I live into that? And, and, you know, and they do it with, with a lot of 
failing, right? right. <laughs> well, okay. And Fail often, on that front, but let's try it again. Yeah. And how often are the plans wild and outrageous and unbelievable? Yeah. And we've never done it that way. But this is this is the the new this is the new world order, the yeah. new creation, the new yeah. kingdom that's pressing in today. Right. Well, and you know, I am. Um, I think too, a lot of this boils down to humility, right? Mm. That um, that I, I I don't take pride. You know, how many times does Paul say, "I'm not boasting." in anything I do. And a lot of this is about our own pride. And, it, you know, it bleeds into the, into the appointive system. It bleeds into our church on many fronts, you know, the careerism, the climbing the ladder, but wait, I can't move to a church if I make less money or there are fewer people there. You're sending me a church with fewer people than I've got now. And I'm like, yes, because I need you to grow it. So, right. you know, but we see it. It, it it's almost like, um, you know, we, we don't even have, I don't want to go into the whole racism conversation. We've got plenty of that, you know, in store and coming, but it's the same thing. We're so steeped and immersed in it, um, in, in this culture of advancement, in this culture of acquisition, in this culture of, of dog eat dog and zero sum game. And I don't succeed unless you fail that, hmm. that we're not even aware of it. It's almost in the air we breathe. And so I think Jesus and, and, the, and the covenant prayer calls us to, to recalibrate mm-hmm. our own, our own um, sense of pride and control. Yeah, in, in our thinking and expectations and in our living that out. And, and that's what I love about what I've learned about Methodist over the years, right? We, we pray, we, get, we focus and we get refocused, and then we try to live into this thing. Mm-hmm. To, to live it out. Yeah. And then it's a journey that, um, right. you know, and I think that's why our spiritual practices are so important because to, to move out of this kind of cultural norm to, and what we, what we are um, acculturated to requires daily uh, recalibration. And I guess what my biggest concern is, Scott, our communities of faith, if they are not um, unique, and holding up different values and not insisting that we freely and heartily yield all things to Christ, then they're just um, religious uh, duplications of the culture we find everywhere. And that to me um, is counter to our whole mission. I mean, we should be transforming the world. Not That's what I think the heart of it means to not conform to this world but to transform it. And um, anyhow, and and I do think that I love the image of the table where we are all gathering in and all uh, moving into giving over everything to Christ with total trust. And that's what unites us is the, is the, is the common understanding that we do turn over everything to Christ. And um, I'm comfortable that Christ can work in your life as Christ is working in, in my life. And, and um, I should not spend all my time worrying about how conformed you are to Christ. Right. 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 Because I don't have a good, I'm not, I'm not a good gauge. I think that's why Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged because I don't know where you started. I don't know where you are on your journey. And, and I, with fear and trembling, do not go there. 
because I know that God's at work in you. And, and I, 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 you know, what I may value, God may not. So I, I don't even have the valid calibration. And, and don't most of us have our hands full um, trying to conform ourselves to Christ? Yes. I mean, who's got the time or energy to focus on anybody else? The best I can do is encourage others. Right. All right. Like we're in this marathon. And so we're, we're encouraging one another Though we may run it in different ways and have different styles, different paces. Um, the best I can do is work on, on my stride, mm -hmm. on my advancement, and then encourage those around me. And hold up the, you know, hold up the goal, which is perfection and love right. and hold up the fruits of the spirit. You know, I'm so tired of people and I keep going back to the Pharisees, and I've said this many times, but they kept the rules. They kept everything. That was their whole focus in life. And Jesus said, you are whitewashed tombs. Quit. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. And you're putting stumbling blocks in front of all these people who desperately want to be at the table and desperately need to know my love and mercy. And, and stop. <laughs> But we, we like that, right? Because that gives us control. Yeah, well, and the, you know, that last phrase, um, it's interesting, instead of all things, what we can put in there. So I, I freely and heartily yield uh, my church, uh, my religion, uh, my past experiences, mm -hmm. my opinions. Uh, I mean, if you, if you get Often. bored with that, you can get more specific, you know, for right. your individual situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, a, you know, but the promise is that, that if we are open to God, God will equip us, right? That we don't have, that's why I'm a Christian, because I'm not handed this, this rule book or this and left to my own devices, right? That God is with us, in us, spiritually guiding us, writing the law on our hearts, you know, moving us and giving us the power to be transformed. And that's what I need because left to my own devices, I'm just very limited and very much conformed, right? So if I'm open, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and what keeps me going is the saints of the church that I've seen throughout my ministry, that this will happen if you open yourselves, that there are people with tremendous love and tremendous peace and tremendous joy, and they're immensely kind. And that's, that's, that's the goal we lift up. Not the master pastor, not the mega pastor, not the one flying around the world in his plane, not the one with the, but the, I look to the solid, you know, the, the 80 or 90 year old who has been to hell and back, who has lost children, who has, you know, lost homes, lost, and still has trusted and, 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 um, you know, still daily turns over their life to God and they become something beautiful. And I, I love that, that title of the biography of, of Mother Teresa, something beautiful for God. Mm -hmm. Do things, do small things with great love. And that, that's what we call back to, right? The simplicity and the, and, and so I, my call to pastors and lady is to let go of the grandiose 
and deal with the small, simple things in front of you that you can do with great love. Cause that's incrementally, I think how the, how the world has changed. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, finding myself Bishop um, thinking about all the saints uh, yeah. over the years who've had that sort of impact on me that um, it, as I've seen their life and the power of God at work in their life, the, the way that uh, makes me hungry to each day, do a little better, give a little mm -hmm. more, lean into the spirit, maybe give up um, and, and become like some of those saints. Right. Well, I'll, I'll close with two stories. And this was, uh, I've never seen it more laid out for me. I had two funerals in one day. Mm. And the first funeral uh, was a very prominent member of the community, very, very wealthy you know, uh, he, he, he got a big splash in the newspaper when he died. He um, uh, was recognized in his industry as a leader and a, and a mover and shaker. And at his funeral, there was his family and a few others. And all I heard around town after that whole week, after that funeral was, gosh, he was a jerk. Mm. And, and the stories of devastation the stories of ugliness. The second funeral I had that day was for a man who made no newspaper when he died, you know, just a paragraph obituary. He uh, had been a solid family man. He had worked hard. He didn't have a flashy job, but he was steady. Um, he had faithfully taught Sunday school every year and he had spent his retirement totally committed to our church's preschool. And he would read with those kids and he'd invest with their kid, those kids and generations of kids knew him and loved him. And, you know, they'd come back from college and go see him. And his, the sanctuary for his funeral was packed. Right. And the little children from the preschool came over because they wanted to come and sing for Mr. Ken. And I realized that there is something about a human life where you do freely and heartily turn all things over to God. And he was a man who more than time, if you needed money, he would give it freely. He was um, gentle and kind and he changed that whole community. And I realized that there's a kind of funeral I'd like to have and I had in stark contrast laid before me the two paths. And so I think we've got a lot of soul searching to do as a church about what's important and about um, how much we could do if we would join together freely and heartily yielding all things to Christ and welcoming everybody to the table. The vision is there. The final word, Scott, final word on this passage. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, I, I think, and that sort of encouragement, too, of one another, uh, because it's risky steps, mm -hmm. you know, it, to, to um, embrace this, really, uh, to follow Jesus uh, into, well, it, it seems like into death, and yeah. it is into death, but it's into life, so it's that. Right. Um, and, and, and the power of this uh, is captured in this prayer and 
it's available to us every day if, if we just take risk and encourage one another. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And so all of you listening, I hope you will pray this, these two lines all week, every day. Maybe I think I might claim these two lines as my daily prayer for the rest of the year because um, it, it checks us. It calls us to a, to a far broader and more amazing future than we have flinching to our own aisles. So thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. And I thank you for all your work and all you do. And um, you are an unsung hero of the annual conference, no doubt. And lots of hours uh, being there for those who have lost all sense of control and, and have nothing to yield. Right. So anyhow, thank you very much and um, blessings in this new year. And thank all of you for tuning in. And next week we will um, once again, uh, have a guest and talk about the next couple lines of Wesley Covenant Prayer. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.